Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info. From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. In the American South, there are state borders, variations in topography and accents, and there's the Nat Line. That's the fall line where the Piedmont meets the coastal plain. It's actually the sandy soil south of that line where these pesky little critters live out their short lives, but they also have a penchant for flying into noses and eyes. Larry Walker has also thrived below that line. His new book, Tales from Georgia's Nat Line, is a series of essays about life in the Deep South, a part of the United States that, in his words, was and is somewhat different from the rest. It's also about his experience serving for three decades in the Georgia General Assembly and House of Representatives. He's on the line with us now from Perry. Hello, Larry. Good morning, good morning. Well, you describe Perry, Georgia, in a speech as Mayberry with an attitude. What's its attitude? Well, it's a winter attitude. It's always been a winter town. Had outstanding basketball, boys basketball. Good people, good people running things. The same people that ran the churches, uh, ran the schools, and ran the city government. So it's been a good place to live. Uh, I wouldn't want to live anywhere but Perry. Well, it was a place rich with characters. You write about Jerry Dutrix Horton and George Big Hoss Johnson and hanging out in front of you. One of your grandparents had a small store, rural store. The others were cotton farmers. And you remember being at your grandfather's store and how infrequently cars pulled up. Your other grandparents didn't even have electricity. You had to pretty much entertain yourself. And there's a chapter in the book called Wishing Boredom on My Grandchildren. Why? What did being bored teach you? I spent a lot of time in Washington County with my Walker grandparents, and they killed hogs, and they made syrup, and they uh, made a soap in the wash pot, and they uh, went to the sawmill and got slabs. That's the sides of trees that were cut off that were not fit for lumber to burn in the stove to cook and to heat. And I'm very, very grateful of, of that. Uh, they had tenants living on the place, and I liked the tenants very much. In fact, two of the older boys were kind of my heroes. And so I got to taste that and see how it used to be and Many people in my generation did not get that, and I'm thankful that I did. We didn't have toys, and we didn't have uh, television to watch, and we didn't have these uh, games that you hold in your hand to play, and we had to do things, and we were pretty much uh, left our own devices to, to play and to do the things we wanted to do, and a lot of times we were spending dirt roads, uh, making toady frog stools with your hand, and some of the older people will understand that, and, and we in creeks and and trying to catch fish in creeks. We did mudding. Mudding is what we called it. You'd muddy up the water, and the fish would come to the top, and and it was just a carefree time. And I think that again, it has has had a big effect on what I am today, good or bad. Uh, but I thoroughly enjoyed that, and am glad I was exposed to that. But it's also a book about history, and I wonder if you could read a little bit from the preamble about what was King Cotton. I, I certainly will. Uh, th- this book is, is about the South, and often when you're writing about the South, you really, it's really about cotton, even when the word cotton is not mentioned. 
talk about tenant farmers and mules, and really most of that writing involves cotton. Talk about the Civil War, and cotton is certainly involved as a primary cause of the war. Truly, cotton was king in my South. When you have the power and the money, and the two must always go together, you don't easily give it up. And so it was in the South. If you had the cotton and you could get it gathered and sold, you'd have the money and the power, and those who had it didn't easily give it up. The South has paid for this and continues to pay, but it's not as bad as it used to be, and maybe during my children's lifetimes, the debt will be paid. Well, that debt looms very large over the South's economy and history and, and, and sense of legacy, I think. In 2001, you argued to change Georgia's flag on the floor of the House. The flag had been dominated by a Confederate emblem. It was Governor Roy Barnes who asked you to speak. Why did he choose you? Well, I think I was a rural legislator, non-metro legislator. I wasn't actually rural. I was from Houston County, but I was non-metro, and they needed somebody to bring some of the rural and non-metro legislators along. And uh, as a consequence of that, I went to the well of the House and made a speech about changing the flag. If you look at it today, you might say, well, it's pretty conservative. It was, but bear in mind that my job was to try to get some of the rural, non-metro legislators to vote to change the flag. And within the last few months, Governor Barnes told me that I changed, uh, he actually said, over 20 votes. Hmm. Uh, I doubt that I changed that many. That was mighty flattering to me, and I appreciated it, but I know I did change some. We needed 91 to pass it in the House, and we had 93 or 94, and it was a real, real uh, electrifying day. I've never seen anything like it, never saw anything like it in the 32 years that I served, uh, and, it, and it, was a, it was a good thing. And incidentally, even now, uh, the Mississippi flag is in controversy uh, in, I think, New Jersey, They've taken it out of a park where they have all of the state flags and have done it in other places, and I just think it was the thing to do. The time had come. I love the South. I love so many things about the South. I told them, I started my speech by saying, in a sea of Southern draws, mine is probably the most pronounced. Hmm. And it was. And uh, But I, I think that was a, a very big economic thing and, and a, a very good big the right thing to do moment when we change the flag. Well, your full speech is in the book, but that is a topic that often comes up in discussions about the South. And in your book, you say it's never been easy to be a Southerner, black or white, but it's worth holding on to and we must. And you were one of few men from Perry who traveled to Selma, Alabama in 1963. Then you went back again 50 years later in 2013. How did your perception of the civil rights movement change when you walked across that Edmund Pettus Bridge? Well, my feeling was we've come a long way. We've come a long way. Uh, That goes for the white race and the black race. The the white race and being more receptive and being more uh, conscious of of the right thing to do. The black race and, and having more opportunities. And that's what I thought about when I crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge uh, a few years ago, and and uh, it, it, interesting, I left uh, Perry uh, 
with three other guys to go to Fort Worth, Texas and work in a steel mill. We ate lunch in Selma, Alabama, June 11, 2000, I mean, June 11, 1963. Uh, that was the day that George Wallace stood in the schoolhouse door in Tuscaloosa. We went on and spent the night in Meridian, Mississippi. That was the night that Byron D. LeBeck was shot and killed Medgar Evers, and we went through Jackson, Mississippi the next morning. There was not an interstate system. We went right through the downtown, and there was there was demonstrations in the streets. We went on, and we lived right off the TCU campus where we worked at Texas Steel, and another person lived right off the TCU campus. Whether we ever saw him or not, I do not know, named Lee Harvey Oswald. Hmm. Well, that's the kind of situation we had in the South in 1963. Certainly, it's infinitely better today. You wrote about whether or not the debt that the South owes will ever be paid. What do you think you and your lifetime, and even in the tales you tell in this book, do you think that contributes to payment of this debt? I do think it contributes to the payment. And uh, the South was always, it was, an ag- it was an agrarian economy. It was based on agriculture. The North... Uh, which was the developing part of the country in the 1800s, and the North was an industrial society, and as a consequence, they, in many ways, were ahead of the South. Uh, and, and when you say an agricultural economy, it was an agricultural economy dominated by the people that owned the land, the plantation owners. Uh, and we've always been a little bit behind, but I'm extremely proud of what's happened in the South, and you look at Atlanta, Georgia. It's a very, it's a very, very sophisticated metropolitan city, and and so much of Georgia is that way today. So I think we're getting there. I, I, I really do. The Nat line is actually an imaginary line, but you do borrow a term from your fellow state rep, Marcus Collins, who said, "We never get any money south of the Nat line." What do you think most needs attention? Well. Marcus was a big burly farmer from Camilla, from actually from Mitchell County. I don't think Cotton, Georgia, is what he called home. A, a big farmer, and he was also chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, which is one of the most important committees in the House. He and Joe Frank Harris and I were good friends, and Joe Frank at that time was chairman of the uh, of the uh, Appropriations Committee, and Marcus was uh, constantly telling and Joe Frank, "We don't ever get any money south of the Nat line." And Joe Frank was very calm and never got upset and showed it. Uh, but this particular day, he, he became irritated with that, and he said, Marcus, exactly where is in that line? And Marcus said, it's that line we don't ever get any money south of. <laughs> and, uh, we ha- you know, we do have two Georgias. We probably have more than two. We have several Georgias, but certainly South Georgia, much of South Georgia is, a, is, a, is, is not economically as uh, viable and and uh, it's not doing as well as other parts of the state of Georgia. Well, you were elected as a representative in 1973 when Jimmy Carter was governor. He, along with Muhammad Ali and Mickey Mantle, are among the 10 conversations that you remember. What was memorable about that conversation with the man from Plains, Georgia? Well, in, in his last year, being a young, Jimmy Carter was not in with the establishment in the legislature. As a consequence, he used young legislators, I would like to thank young, bright legislators, 
to help him with his program. So I was a friend of the of the governor's, and uh, during his last year, the latter part of the session, I went into his office and was having a nice conversation with him. And I said, Governor, what you what are you going to do when your term is up? And he said, I'm going to run for president. And in all innocence, I said, president of what? <laughs> I could not imagine that anybody from Georgia would think they could get elected president of the United States. But he certainly <laughs> proved me wrong. I'm speaking with Perry resident and longtime state, state representative Larry Walker about his new book. It's called Tales from Georgia's Netline. It's a series of short chapters and essays about life that was and is in rural Georgia. We're going to end this segment with Ray Charles, Georgia on my mind. And you were one of the representatives in Georgia's state house to make it or to advocate for it to be the official state song. So a lot of exciting things happened in my 32 years in the Georgia House of Representatives. But the most exciting thing that ever happened was when Ray Charles, who just a few years earlier would not even even been allowed to go on the floor of the house, Ray Charles came and. Hoagie Carmichael, who wrote the song, was in in uh, Hollywood, California, and there was a hookup with him, and he talked, and that was a big thing, too. And Ray Charles played and sang George On My Mind, and we adopted it as an official state song. I think it's the biggest bang for the buck economically of anything we did in my 32 years in the General Assembly. Larry Walker, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. I enjoyed it. That's former state representative, now author Larry Walker. His new book, Tales from Georgia's Natline, is out. And we're going to leave you, as we said, with a little bit of Georgia on My Mind by Ray Charles. Georgia. Georgia. The whole day through Just an old sweet song Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.